about it on WERU-FM. I'm Patricia McLean, founder and president of the Maine-based nonprofit organization Finding Our Voices, which is survivors of domestic abuse, including me, standing proud and speaking loud. She supported whatever my decision was, but she also went to bed every night in fear that she was going to make a call that I was dead. You know, she lived that way the whole time I was with him, which you know, thinking about that after the fact of what it did to my mom, it was terrible. Like, I, I feel awful that she went through that. Many, many times I would tell her to leave my father. A lot of times she wouldn't listen. She was too afraid. What am I going to do with, with five kids alone? She said, who's going to take me? What's going to happen to me? She was always afraid. When William Hurt died in March, I took notice because I knew him as a sensitive, intellectual, and handsome lead in such movies as Broadcast News and Body Heat. Then a writer friend alerted me to an essay by Donna Kaz in the Hollywood trade magazine Variety about the William Hurt domestic abuser that she had known as his girlfriend when she was in her early 20s. Turns out she had written extensively about this in her 2016 book, Unmasked, memoir of a guerrilla girl on tour. My Google search turned up other reports of his rape and physical and emotional battering of intimate partners, including of ballerina mother of his child, who testified about this in court, and the Oscar-winning actress Marlene Matlin, who wrote about it in her own memoir. These first-hand reports of high crimes against women he supposedly loved, had zero impact on his career. In his 20-page glowing obituary in the Washington Post, try to find the few words referencing this serial domestic abuse. Because I loved Donna's book, and because she and I have a lot in common as the victims of domestic abuse by famous entertainers, I was thrilled when she agreed to not only talk with me on this monthly WERU-FM radio show, but also to be a guest on my online book club that you can join by emailing me at hello at findingourvoices.net. When the conversation for this show was recorded, the circus of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial was in full swing, with 99% of the population convinced she was the abuser, even though at that point it had only been Depp's side, including many in his employee, giving testimony. Here is what Donna and I had to say about the trial in our conversation. I've been like trying to ward off the Johnny Depp, justice for Johnny Depp trolls on my Twitter feed. I really feel like Amber Heard needs support and I'm trying to support her in this. I'm trying, I mean, I don't know her. I've never met her. I relate to her situation only because it's very similar to my own. And I think that this is a giant push and a backlash against women who speak out. And anyone who has experienced domestic violence 
should be able to talk about it. He's, he's shutting her down. She, she just, she wrote an op-ed that didn't even say anything about him. And she's, he's trying to shut her down. That just proves he's a domestic abuser because that's what they do. They, they completely try to silence you. Yeah, he's trying to crush her and he's trying to crush her. Yeah. Uh, majority of people who are in these kinds of situations are women, but there are instances of men being abused. Yes, absolutely. No one is saying that's not true. But I don't think we can hold this up as one of those cases. The fact that he called her the C word, that is classic domestic abuse. What did your husband ever call you the C word? Not my husband. No, Bill Hurt did. Oh, well, there you go. My ex called me the C word. I have friends who have wonderful. I know wonderful men. I, I that that word would never come out of their mouth. To me, yeah. the, the C word is a classic thing that domestic abusers do. And when I saw that he'd called her that right away, that's that's OK. You know. It's a very, it's going to be interesting what happens here. Um, but it's, 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 it's sort of the, the press that it's gotten and it, it, you can watch it live on Court TV. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, but I really think that it's, it, whatever happens, I mean, I, I just hope uh, that people continue to support Amber Heard and her quest to be able to speak her truth. And here is some of what else Donna Kaz, feminist activist and award-winning author and theater director, and I, Patricia McLean, president founder of Finding Our Voices, the grassroots nonprofit breaking the silence of domestic abuse, had to talk about. Welcome, Donna, and thank you for listening. Well, Donna, thank you again for joining me. My pleasure to be here. When you came out with your book, William Hurt Was Alive, my lawyer told me when um, I was nervous about speaking out, he, even though the truth is the best defense, he said anyone could sue over anything. And, and he, That's you know, right. the only way to be safe is to just be quiet. So tell me about you writing this book, the, the fact that the publisher did, took that chance and the whole process of, of when your abuser is alive to do that. I was determined to tell my story. I felt it was the right time for me to tell my story. Um, several, several things happened at that time. My mother passed away. It had been 25 plus years. I had had time to process a lot of things. So I wrote my book. I had agents tell me, we, you will never get this published. No one is gonna touch this. I found a fabulous agent who landed me a book deal with Skyhorse. Skyhorse hired two attorneys to look at the book and vet the book. The attorneys went through the entire book with me, asked me for evidence. I provided them with evidence. I also, via the Authors Guild, got my own insurance. Uh, against liability insurance. And I had their lawyers vet it as well. But I'll tell you, I would often wake up and think, why am I doing this? I am setting myself up for major lawsuit by someone who is extremely wealthy and popular. And of course, the idea that people would just say, you're only saying this to be famous yourself. 
this story is not true. Why talk about it now, years later? Things like that. But I, you know, all those things happened. And I just felt in my heart that I did not want to leave this earth without telling my story. I felt like a woman who had been silenced, not only not by not, you know, sharing my story, but also, you know, being a female artist. I was working towards, I was an advocate for women in the arts, talking about how women's narratives are not told, they're pushed back, they're silenced, they're not at the forefront. And I just felt very, very strongly about this. So I went through it and it was very stressful. Um, But in the end, yes, I'm absolutely 100% grateful that I was able to do that and that I had support behind me and the support of, at that time, uh, I was married to a fabulous man, Richard Charcom, who supported me all the way through my journey. And um, unfortunately, he passed away five months ago. But oh, I'm um, sorry. yeah, but I, I just had friends and Peace Over Violence, the organization in Los Angeles, where I first came to heal, uh, supported me and I had a lot of support. So I'm very glad that I did it. Well, a few things that brings up a lot of other things. Were you worried about like financially that he would come after you, that you'd have to defend yourself? Or did you feel that with the insurance and with the publisher backing you up that there was not a risk of that? Oh, no, there was always a risk of that. I was always afraid of that. But my story is important. That's the thing that I had to believe. And also, there's a stigma. People don't tell their stories exactly for this reason. They will be sued. They will be shamed. They will be blamed. So it's easier to go along and not tell your story. And I just want to say that that's an okay decision too. A lot of people don't tell their story and that's absolutely fine. I'm not here to shout up and down about how everyone has to come out and tell their story. I really think that the process, that disclosure is a process and that for some of it, it never comes. And for some of it, it absolutely has to come out. And so it felt almost like a birth, almost uh, uh, that I had to get this thing that happened to me out there in the world and accept it. And, and it completely changed my life. I have to say that it completely changed my life by telling it. I became a different person. I had self-confidence. I was able to do things that I never thought I could do before. I became a whole new person when I recognized that my narrative was valuable. He was never arrested for what he did to you, as far as I know. No, there's a photograph in the book of us on the set of Altered States. And if you look closely, you can see my hand, my fingers in a splint because it's broken. I did go to the emergency room once. We're talking about the late 70s when when you went into the ER, they don't ask you anymore. Are you being abused? Are you afraid? Well... Uh, I have my own problems with that because yes, they ask you that now, but, it, but they, they need to look at you and act like they care about the answer. So yes, we progress so that they, they have to ask you that question, but they, a lot of times it doesn't sound like they care about the answer, but yeah. That's- no, that's true. I remember being in the emergency room with my husband and they asked me that and he was right there. And I thought, you know, that's a really good question to ask. And this guy's a great guy, but why <laughs> you shouldn't be, the, the guy shouldn't be in the room. Well, exactly. It's like they're, they're not doing any thought. They're just ticking off a box. So Donna, there was a lot of, a lot of psychological abuse with Phil. 
Um, could we talk a little bit about the physical abuse? Um, and I know there was one incident that had you in the emergency room, but if you could, if you don't mind just relating that, what, what the physical abuse, what the extent of that was. It was a lot of beating, punching, kicking, dragging. Um, the reason why I broke my finger was he ripped out a rug from underneath me and I went flying and landed and broke a bone. There was suffocating, um, choking. I, uh, you know, it was bad. It was really scary while it was happening. Uh, we lived on the beach in Malibu, and I remember often running out of the house and down the beach into the blackness. You know, there weren't any lights on the beach and just not knowing where I was going to go and sort of hovering by the, you know, a rock for hours. Did he tell you about any trauma in his in his childhood? That oh, yes. He, had, he was very traumatized in his childhood. I mean, I won't go into it, but he was traumatized. Yes, that was part of it. That was a part of his regret and his tears afterwards and his, uh, it was something that was inside of him that was a very sad story. Yes, my ex had a sad story too, but you know, it's, it was an excuse and I felt sorry for him. And when I thought about it, I had a worse fat childhood than he did. Of course, yes. Not all of us grow up to manifest the abuse that was was inflicted on us as children. That's yes, absolutely. I'm not trying to excuse his behavior in any way, shape, or form, or condone it, or say that it was correct, or say that he could not, he didn't have a choice. No, he absolutely had a choice, and he absolutely knew exactly what he was doing every time he did it and that's the bad thing and, you that, know? and that's the number they do on us because we do feel sorry for them because i felt sorry for us. i said i would say the same thing like you know yes you know what was him but i don't you think that's part of why you know we stay let's say because we we feel sorry for them i don't know if i stayed because i felt sorry for him i stayed because i thought that there was potential that this would end yes you know, there was there was the 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 reward at the end would be this fabulous yes. relationship that would only consist of the honeymoon period, the affection yes. and the kindness and the love would go on forever and ever and ever. Yes, I think you completely nailed it. That's exactly right. That's that's the dream, that's the hope, that's what we cling on to, and that's what we think is gonna happen. Yeah. Right. And if only, because it's so perfect. Why doesn't if only that other stuff would stop? Look at what a beautiful and amazing thing this could be. Well, I think we have to stop telling ourselves or or promoting these myths that, you know, um, you you will be rescued someday by a guy who will sweep you off your feet and carry you off into the sunset. That's not how that's not life. That's not reality. We also have to remind ourselves that we are powerful. We can make decisions. We know what's right and wrong and we need to get out of situations that are bad and support people who are trying to get out of situations that are bad. Amen. Amen. And I think you're right. And I think it is wrong to think, oh, you know, if only this bad stuff would stop, look how amazing it would be like, like a, a fairy tale or something, because you're right. You know, we, 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 sh we shouldn't be looking to a fairy tale for 
our mental health and our happiness. You know, we're just looking for someone who is going to be a decent person and not be frigging beating us up and terrorizing us emotionally. Correct. Absolutely correct. He looks so sensitive. He looks like a poet. He's so intellectual. How can you connect that with the, the image of the person? Well, he was, he was very sensitive. He was very poetic. He was very emotional. He was very affectionate. And that's the part uh, of the story that kept me coming back. There's a cycle of abuse. The cycle is abuse and affection, you know, abuse and love, um, hitting and loving. Um, so you form this bond with someone because you're waiting for that other part to come back, the love, the affection, the adoration, the devotion, the poetry. Well, that's so interesting because that means that the things that an outsider would see about Bill um, that would maybe lead them to not believe that he could be the other thing is exactly what's happening to you. Like you're also seeing the other part of him that is wonderful. And so in, that's what you meant, maybe going crazy, like in your mind, like how can you reconcile the two things? Right, like, exactly. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that part of it, do you think? Yes, I, you can't reconcile those two things. And you, uh, it, it, it trump, one trumps the other. So you become attached to this cycle uh, because you know that other part is coming around and you want to wait for that part to come around. It's sort of like you can't stay with him and you can't leave him. You know, there's no, there's no, you're in this, you're in this wild ride that you can't get off of. Once you're on that merry-go-round, it's very, very hard to get off of it. You are hooked by the promise by the, the, the uh, I will never do it again. You are the only one who can help me. I need you. You must help me get over this. I will, I promise, promise, promise. Get hooked into that. And then it starts all over again. And, and there's, you do, there's a lot of, there's lots of love in relationships. And maybe well, it's a dangerous love and a dark love, but people want things to work out. And that's why they stay because of this, um, this merry-go-round that they find themselves on. Well, that that's how this differs from other crimes, right? Because there's love with it, and it's it it makes it it makes it more complicated. And it, it I don't know, in some degree, I think it makes it worse because when you bring love into it, when you love the person, and they're telling you they love you, like that does really does something to your mind. That's where it comes with the psychological thing, don't you think? More in a big yes, way. Yes, absolutely. I also think we're sort of trained or uh, we grow up as women to buy into this passion. Uh, you know, relationships need passion and power and fireworks and they have to be over the top and love of your life. And it, it, in reality, no, that's actually not. Love is, love is very quiet. True love is very quiet. And so when we buy into these things, we think, oh, I, I'm, I have been swept off my feet. I, I love that expression, it's swept off my feet. And um, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous thing to, to, to be that desperate for that kind of uh, passionate relationship that often goes awry.
Well, we, we, we need our feet firmly planted on the ground. It's, it, is, it is dangerous to be swept off our feet. And what I would tell anyone is look for a man who's kind, not exciting, like, you know, cross out exciting. You know, for me now, like, that's what I would say, just kind. Um, and when I, it, also what I related to in your book was when you talked about it, it sounded like you really felt like you were so lucky that he chose you and that he, he liked you. Do you so that that's a whole that's that's another thing too don't you think that comes into play oh absolutely uh i was young and uh, i was 24 23 i turned 24 and it it was the you know romeo and juliet anthony and cleopatra the perfect couple uh you are the only person for me i cannot exist without you you make me me and i make you you and we are this dynamic power couple that was absolutely one. It was a lopsided dynamic. Did that come very from, much so? Did that, did that come from him? All those things that you're saying, like making it so yes. dramatic and making it so, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so that was very exciting and thrilling, but it right. never came the other way. I was with him at the early part of his career. He did not have his uh alter he did not land altered states yet as soon as we started dating he landed that and it was sort of the uh if you come with me on this journey and you help me and you support me i'll i'll help you eventually mm. but you must support me now and you must support my career now and i will turn around and support you in one year's time two years time whatever that and that never happened when i met bill he had not really he had not um he had done one television movie and he was working in the theater. He landed uh, the leading role in Altered States when we first started going out. And that was his first major motion picture. It was a big movie. It took a very long time to shoot. It was very stressful because of the nature of the movie and the themes that it was dealing with, with, you know, he had to wear body suits and shoot all these scenes um, that were very difficult to shoot. This is a long time ago before special effects were as easy as they are now. And so he said, I really need you there by my side to help me. And if you help me through this, I will help you. Um, and that's how, that's how that worked. And I absolutely believe that. How did he, how did he, how did he not help you? You know, I had, um, I remember I, I auditioned for Circle Rep. The um, people who were auditioning me were very welcoming and very nice to me during audition number one. And then maybe three or four months later during audition number two, their attitude has had changed. And I always suspected it was, they were totally enamored of Bill and he was their star and he would do whatever they told him to do. And so I had a feeling that in between audition one and audition two, something had been said that had changed their attitude towards me because I did the same audition. I I'm with you. I a hundred percent think that that's the truth because that's, that's what they do. These people, they sabotage you because they, they need to be, they don't, they're very threatened by any chance that you are going to have, as we talked about earlier, that you will, have autonomy and independence too, because part of their control is that you need them. Exactly. He was extremely needy and I had to be there by his side all the time. Well, there is this very attractive 
apart about having someone be that dependent on you. You feel, wow, he really does need me and I must be something special if he really needs me to be around him all the time. But that's that makes you give up your life and you become just the extension of them. Yeah. And you never, you know, because I was 24 and 23 and 24. And that was that was one one of, you know, my book starts out in that way. I often go back to that moment when I met him and think, what if I, what if that had never happened? What if I had never met him? What my what would my life have been like? Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it, uh, of course, I, I, I don't live with regrets or anything like that. But I was curious about that because I oh. was definitely a changed person. Well, we're stymied and stifled, right? Because it's, we, we have no, it's not about us. Like we're not pushing forward our dreams and hopes and carrying them forward. We're, it's, it's really suspended while we're with them because it's all about them and, and it's suffocating. And so I, I think about that too. Like, you know, if, if I had, if I had me in my mind and I, my head wasn't filled with him and having to it have to be the case in order to keep the peace, then um, that that's a crime too, right? Really taking away, you know, the person that you're meant to be because you're right. not following your journey. You're with him. And then um, that woman that said to you, um, you know, she knows, she knows what it's like to just be the girlfriend or something like that's what, yeah. that's the role you were in. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's almost like an, it's very much like an addiction in some ways in that I felt like I was addicted to him. Mm -hmm. And it took me a really long time to break that addiction. Because we were, we were officially together for three years, but then 10 years after that, I kept seeing him once or twice a year. And I was not able, I would drop everything and run. I really thought it would eventually work out. It was only when I thought that I was randomly selecting some place to do volunteer work, which was the LA Rape and Battery Hotline, that uh, at the first meeting of the LA Rape and Battery Hotline, when everyone was going around introducing themselves as survivor, that word resonated in my head for the very first time that I was a survivor as well. You are listening to Let's Talk About It on WERU-FM. That is Conversations with Survivors of Domestic Abuse. I am Patricia McLean, President, Founder of Finding Our Voices at findingourvoices.net. And I am talking today with Donna Kaz, author of a memoir revealing the domestic abuse she suffered at the hands of the late actor William Hurt. Now back to our conversation. You did not think of it as domestic abuse until that time? I know I minimized it. I forgave it. I said, well, I was only in the emergency room once. How bad could it have been? Right. I really did minimize it. And I I will never forget that day because I literally dropped to the floor. And the uh, people at the um, hotline recognized it immediately what was happening because it must happen all the time well but, well also identify you were he did rape you so the rape does apply and right. it's interesting yeah because i volunteered for the domestic abuse agency to, to the hotline 
very early in our marriage before I would call myself a victim. It's interesting. And look at the power control when I was like, wait a second, like this is all applying, but I, I, I blocked it out. I didn't act on it. Um, so did they, did you, did they tell you that that happens a lot that people do have that realization once they're there? Yes. And that it's a little, it gets very complicated years after you're abused to sort of separate out uh, the problems that you might have, but it was very, very healing for me to go through that whole process of learning uh, about the power and control wheel and recognizing myself. And I ended up becoming a public speaker for them and working with them a lot. And they helped me a great deal. They, the organization is now called Peace Over Violence. They're in California? Los Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles. Are you still associated with them? Yes. I mean, I, I support them and I think they do great stuff. Now, did you ever um, connect with his other ex his exes? I never did. I, I waited on Mary Beth Hurt once when I was a waitress. And that was very odd. I didn't, I didn't say anything to her and I didn't, and this is, this is after we had broken up, but I never connected to any of the other ones. Um, I've uh, certainly, I read about Marley Matlin coming out with her story and, um, you know, grateful for, for her also voicing that, that, um, her the the abuse that she had experienced. She seemed in the after he died. She seemed to be play it down. Do you notice that by her comments? She did, she seemed to be very very supportive of him. Yeah. Well, everyone has their own process, and uh, sometimes it can be frustrating being a survivor. But uh, you just have to remember that everyone has their own path, and it's different for everyone. Yeah. And, and did you think about contacting them, especially when that came out, when you when you learned that the others had gone through it, too? No, I, I, I never really thought about contacting them. I don't know what I would say. I, I we 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 have something in common. That's sort of a horrible thing. When I wrote the essay for Variety after he died, I heard from a lot of people and I heard from strangers. But I did hear from some people who knew me at the time. Um, and called to say, wow, we never realized and thank you for speaking out. So that was really wonderful to hear those people. And did you find like, I know with me when I came out with it that people said I, I knew or I had an idea or I heard this or I saw that and they had never told me at the time and I thought nobody noticed anything. But did that happen too that people said they did have a uh, an uh, inkling or they had a suspicion or they knew of something at the time? You know, I, a few people said, I never liked him. Interesting. <laughs> and that sort of way of, you know, there was something about him that was off. I never liked him. And, uh, you know, but not, not specifically that they suspected that he was the, the, the way that he was. After you left and the relationship ended, and I know that you did see him sometimes, was it hard that he was in the public eye that were you reminded of him constantly or did you hear about him and see him and how did that affect you? Oh, that was the worst. I could not go down the street without seeing his name on a billboard or his image. I couldn't turn on the television without seeing him. I couldn't turn on the radio out without hearing him. 
open up a newspaper. People would call me all the time. They and say, hey, I just, you know, heard this. And have you seen the new movie? And have you done this? Um, I think I told you this funny story where I was at a park. I was at a national park, uh, river rafting on a wild gorge, uh, going down the river with a very small group of people. And the guide on the boat said, hey, do you know Bill Hurt? He's my favorite actor out of the blue. And it's just like I couldn't get away from it. It was impossible. It, and so I, I became a person who started to just turn off the TV, turn off the radio, put the magazine away and stop that. Because that was the best thing for me. Yeah, for me... It wasn't really a, ca a case like that for me. I was worried that it would be. And he used to tell me, you'll never get away from me because American Pie is everywhere. But I, I really only have heard it a few times. But what got me in is that all the friends or Facebook friends or whatever, who would ping me with his the latest thing. Oh, uh, here, look at this interview. Look at this. Um, it, a lot of times an interview, you know? Yeah. I, and, and that would set me back. I didn't want to see these things. But what do you think about it is about people that would that they do that? I don't know why they do it. I think it's very, very bizarre. I, I would certainly not do that to somebody else. I don't know if it's some sort of instinct to, hey, these two people are connected. Let me tell them. Let me let me remind you of him. I just saw him on TV. Did you see it? You know, and, and, the worst, and the worst thing is there's no notice. Like a, a good friend of mine, it, she wouldn't just say, did you see this? It would be the video or something. So as soon as I look at her message, I, it's it's right there in front of me. I, I even had a few people text me. Uh, hey, did you know your ex is dead? I mean, that just stuff like that. Well, I found very insensitive. And why would you even do it that way? It's bizarre. And then also the whole serial aspect of it, because with William Hurt, I mean, from what I've read there, you know, it was the first wife and it was Matlin and it was um, you, I mean, at least three, maybe four. I mean, right. Like the pattern, like over and over and over again. Like, what about that? You know, he, be he was a very powerful, charismatic, brilliant artist. So who is to, I mean, you can relate to this. Who is to say uh, that he's doing something wrong? He must be, he, he's edgy. He's, um, he's an artist. Of course, he's going to act a little weird. I think he got a reputation for being a difficult, you know, difficult. When you say someone's difficult, it can mean many, many things. Well, um, when, when someone's difficult, I think when someone has their reputation, I think people should pay attention to their intimate partner and be concerned for their intimate partner. Yes, absolutely. And now in this day and age that we know these things, we do need to speak up. We do need to ask questions. Yeah. Because you can't have someone who has a, a reputation for like across the board. And if they're married or have a girlfriend, you know that something's happening. It can't be good at home. Right. And that's the other thing that I recall it, it, when it was happening, nobody asked me. No, but I mean, and, and I would even lie. I mean, people would say, why do you have those bruises? And I would make up stories. 
it's, you know, there's a safety issue involved here that we can't forget. It's, it's very dangerous for women to leave a lot of times. Men get mad if they exert themselves, if they leave, and it takes many, many times to leave because of the danger factor. And so I think you have to be very careful if you suspect that someone might be in the situation. You have to let them know you're there, let them know you will listen. You have to be a listener. You have to um, sort of get them into a safe place if you can. These things are very, very delicate and very hard to do. And it takes a lot of patience. It does take a lot of patience. And that's what I think is really important to get across too, that if the person lets you know that they are in one of these situations, not to judge, not to push, not to be impatient with them, and just just let them know that you love them, you care about them, they're important. You know, you know that what's not going on is not right, but because um, then of course, they need to be able to come back to you if they do go back and they, they don't even be ashamed or embarrassed or, you know, judge them. Yeah. Cause they, I only yeah, I only told one person while it was happening to me. And that was when, when we were living in LA, it was a good friend of mine that I had gone to college with. I alerted her that it was happening. And I don't remember if I went into much detail but just having that one person there was a little bit of a help for me. Now, could you tell me like what you thought would happen when the book came out and how maybe it did or didn't go the way you thought it was going to go? Well, first of all, the book came out on November 1st, 2016. November 1st, 2016 was a fabulous day. Hillary Clinton was running for president and she was going to win and it was going to be the year of the female narrative. This is my head I'm speaking about. So I did a book, to, I did a reading in Brooklyn, I remember, and a couple of readings after that, Blue Stockings Bookstore, uh, in, in a feminist bookstore in downtown New York City. And then Trump was elected on November 8th. And so my book got um, buried under that news. Wow! Uh, and so I, 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 it, timing, timing is is everything. And I think that it might have been different um, if if Hillary Clinton had won, but it came out at a very bizarre time in politics and and relationships between genders and left and right. And it was a very hot political time. And so I think that in some ways my book was pushed aside for uh, in the media, at least in the media. What about why in the book on the book jacket does it not say anything about domestic abuse? Oh, well, I don't know. Um, I think that perhaps my publishers were hedgy a little bit about how to blurb the book. It was interesting because um, if you pick it up, you, you have no sense that there's anything in there about domestic abuse. And to me, it was um, about, you know, you as a radical, but it was equally about the domestic, well, maybe because I'm so in, into right. abuse, maybe that's why, but it does, don't you think that it was at least equal those things? Would you say this, would you say that as well that it was or? Yeah, or um, I think that it's it, uh, in the cover, 
in the in the inside cover it is mentioned, but on the on the blurbs it's not really mentioned. But I also think that that was something that I, I too, I mean, when I first started doing readings and I would do readings and I would read mostly the funny stuff and someone took me inside and said, you've got to read the hard stuff too. So I started to include and I would start to say, look, everyone, I'm going to read some really hard stuff. I don't mind if you have to leave the room, but now I'm going to read it. And I would read it and it would, it became better and better and easier and easier for me to read. And then, you know, I refer to William Hurt in the book as Bill, because that's what I called him. Right. Um, I, I became more and more comfortable with saying, with naming my abuser as the tour went on and as the book, you know, in the weeks and months after the book came out. But I, but I, like I said in the beginning, it was stressful and it was, ner- I was nervous. Do you think if with, the, with another printing that it would be different? Would the cover be different? And would this, would the emphasis be different? Probably. I mean, the book now is getting a, a lot, lot of different attention because of, the, you know, Bill Hurt's passing. But yes, absolutely. And um, so... Um, I mean, that's an interesting question. I just want to go back to that. We have to sneak in these stories. Yeah, I guess in life, you know, we're talking about female narrative and talking about the fact that one in three men, women will be assaulted in their lifetime is a terrible statistic. But in order for us to talk about it, we have to sort of sneak it in. Well, I don't, that, yeah. I understand that because what I can't get over is just when I go around and every time I, I make a point of mentioning what I do. Like even when I check into a hotel, I, I just tell everybody and I, I pause because I just know that a lot of times they're going to tell me that they've been through it. They know someone, you know, their mother, their sister or something. And that's how I know like how many people this happens to. And so for that reason, I just think it's so curious that people really don't talk about it. We were talking about before about the fact that a lot of my book is about sexism and discrimination in theater. Yeah. And the fact that the drama bookstore still will not carry this book. Even now? Even now. I write to them and I ask them, you know, this would be a good, this is a perfect book for your bookstore. They don't get back to me. They don't carry it. The same. There's something to do with Bill Hurt fans or maybe we don't, theater, we don't want people to think that we're, you know, people hate to be named. They hate to be, they hate to say, well, the industry I'm in is really sexist, Um, but I'm still in it, fighting from the inside out. Do you think that it's, well, it's interesting. It could be maybe because you're critical of the theater, which you should be, and they don't like that. It could be that William Hurt, they consider one of his, one of their own, although you're one of theirs also. Um, Is it a man that owns this bookstore and has owned it all this time? And he's the one that's saying no all the time or... It recently changed hands, so I'm not really sure about what's happening with that. But I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to. I will keep trying. I will. I will not give up. That seems to be my purpose. Well, next time I'm in New York, I'm happy to carry a picket sign, and you and I can stand in front of there with pickets. <laughs> it's the yes, right? It's you know, it's the erasure. It's the erasure of women and the erasure of women's stories that we have to stop. So let's just be as loud as we can. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And also I would like to know the reason, like, I think he owes you a reason. Why are you not carrying this book? It's about the theater. It's about, and it's also about you who's in the theater and William Hurt who's in the theater. Just give me a reason why. And then you could have a conversation based on that. Right. Right. 
I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> what do you think of the fact that you wore masks with your uh, activism with the theater? And in that relationship, you really were like, lo you lost your identity to some point. Do you see there's a, a correlation there? Oh, absolutely. In fact, another impetus for writing the book was thinking about, so I became a feminist activist, mask Avenger member of the Gorilla Girls. And I was thinking, why? How did I get here from, you know, being sexually assaulted in college, being battered by William Hurt, to this feminist activist. Uh, the Gorilla Girls all wore gorilla masks and took the names of dead women artists to put the focus on the issues of sexism and discrimination instead of on ourselves. It was effective, it's valid, but thinking about domestic abuse, it seems like what we're doing and what's important is really putting a face and a name to it because until you have the face and the name, you know, domestic abuse. It's really hard to know what, it, it, it's hard to get interested in it. And don't you think that's super important? Yes. I mean, well, that's why I called the book Unmasked. You know, I took the mask off literally, figuratively. I, I identified myself as a gorilla girl and I identified myself as a survivor. Uh, it was all about my identity. Who am I? And this is who I am. How did you feel when you, when, when you did hear that he died? William Hurt. It was a combination of emotions. I felt relief, sorrow, anger. Uh, just, it was, it was bizarre. It was very bizarre. I didn't see it coming. I knew that I also felt in many ways, well, I outlasted him. Um, I felt, uh, I, it, it was, it was a variety of emotions, as you can imagine, that ran the gamut. And some people have asked me about this. I have, the one thing that was emotional for me was you always would like some peace with violence and my, I was sad that I that that probably never well that will never happen in my lifetime that I will never get an apology I will never get any kind of reconciliation yeah there's some sometimes you you just for I was early on I, I just kept thinking that that could happen that, but then you recognize that it, it never will. Right. And now it never will, you know, that's, that's like a certain, so that there's something very bizarre about that too. And then you were saying about a few things that were, you were worried about when the book came out and one that, were there other things that you worried about? How did they play out? Like you said, one of the things that people wouldn't believe you, did, does, did that happen? Did you get comments from people about against you for writing it? Yeah, of course I got that. I got comments from people. I got horrible comments as well. I, I, not the majority, it was a minority of comments, but some people are like, oh, come on, give it up. Why talk about it now? And even when he died, it's like, he's dead. Why are you bringing this up now? Um, you know, it, it, 
horrible people, but you have to take that. When you take that risk and you, when you stand up and you say, look at me, this is my story, this is who I am. Of course, people are gonna say, sit down. Right. Uh, who are you to tell your story? So that, of course that happened. Do you think that the fact that William Hurt was an abuser, do you think that, how do you think that should have affected his career? He should have um, given millions of dollars to the anti, that he made in his career to um, help uh, end domestic violence. I, 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 that's my manifesto to him. Step aside, let other women speak. Uh, don't get in my way and support the fight to end violence against women. Yeah. That's my fantasy. That's, that's my fantasy. That's, that's how I would have hoped what, what I would have hoped would have happened. But if someone is a violent person and commits crimes and assaults and rapes and beats women, they, they should be that that's criminal activity and uh, they're criminals. And that should be talked about in the hiring process. They are criminals, and exactly. And what about the people who employed him that knew of this? I mean, don't you think that many of the people who hired him knew of this history? I'm sure, I'm sure they did. And I'm sure that's why he got this reputation for being very difficult. And I'm sure that's why not more people, more people did not comment when he died. I think that people need to separate out um, things, and but also put them together. I mean, yes, he was a great artist. He did made some great movies. His work was really good, but uh, you know, he was also this this uh, brutal man. And, and then a woman, a woman supporting an abuser is turning her back on the victim who was abused by that person. And I just think that every woman, they just need to step up and they need to support the the victim and not. Well, it's the whole thing. That's the whole thing about being believed. About right. Believing, believing, being believed. Yeah. You know, and recognizing the, uh, yeah, there's another side to the story. Yes. And supporting the other side of the story. Absolutely. I would excuse my ex's behavior by saying, oh, it's because um, he being famous, like the, all the pressures on him and uh, he's different from other people because he's different, you know, that he has this thing that, he, that not, not a lot of people around us do. Did you yeah. think that was part of it too? I think you mentioned that. Oh, yes, the pressure of making the movies, the pressure of going to the set, the pressure of the movie needs to be a success, the pressure of where's my next job coming from, the pressure of am I, you know, in the public eye, am I becoming famous enough, you know, am I becoming successful, the success, success, success. I was always by his side. He always wanted me to be there. I had to fly around the world with him whenever he needed to do. And the very last months that we were together, we were in Los Angeles and I had an audition for a movie. Uh, actually, it was a callback, I think. And I said, I have to go. I'm leaving early. I'm leaving five days early. And that was, uh, you know, and I, I, re I recall we had a huge fight about this where he busted a door down to get at me and um, it was horrible, but I left. And then I landed in New York, couldn't get him on the telephone. 
did my audition, couldn't get them on the telephone. And we used to speak, this is before cell phones, we used to speak at least five or six times a day. I didn't get him on the phone for a, a week. And friends of ours in LA actually called me to say, you know, we're really sorry to tell you this, but he's bringing someone else around to all the parties that the two of you have been invited to. It was so humiliating and it was the worst that someone could do to betray you like that. Betrayal, yep. Not even call you and then just to go on with your life as if I never existed. It was the complete erasure of me. Yep. The erasure was complete. I mean, he wanted to beat me out of myself, at my self-worth out of me, which he succeeded in doing. He didn't want me to be successful at anything. It, when he would tell me he wanted me to be successful, but the exact opposite was true. At one point, I remember him yelling at me, don't steal my thunder, as if I had any power in the world to do that. But he beat it out of me got me down to the lowest point I could and then stopped calling me. And I, I think he really, that was an, an attempt to completely crush me, completely crush. I felt like I was being, an ant being stepped on. Yep. He wanted to completely annihilate and crush me. And guess what? He didn't. Thank you, Donna. To learn more about Donna Kaz and her inspiring work as a women's activist and domestic violence victim advocate, and to learn more about how she was pulled into and escaped horrific abuse by the late actor William Hurt when she was in her early 20s, read her terrific book, Unmasked, Memoir of a Guerrilla Girl on Tour. Order this book from your local bookstore and then join Donna and I online on Tuesday, June 14th, 6 p.m., from my online book club, where Unmasked is the book we will be discussing. To join this domestic violence-themed online book club, email me, Patricia McLean, at hello at findingourvoices.net. And another very special event in June is the Finding Our Voices K-12 Love Not Love exhibit throughout Knox County. All month, Art and Poetry by Young People Exploring What Love Is and What Love Isn't will be displayed in downtown business windows, including the Farnsworth Museum, and also exhibits in Rock City Roasters in Rockland and Bagel Cafe in Camden. This Finding Our Voices project empowers young people to find their voices around what is healthy and what is not healthy in relationships, and to open the eyes, minds, and hearts of the general community to the domestic abuse that is all around us. And if what Donna and I were talking about sounds familiar, if someone in your life is making you afraid and or controlling you, say something. The confidential 24-7 domestic violence hotline run by the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence is at 1-866-834-HELP. And you can connect with the Sisterhood of Survivors that is Finding Our Voices through our website, findingourvoices.net, and also by emailing me, Patricia McLean, founder president of this grassroots nonprofit, Breaking the Silence, Stigma, and Cycle of Domestic Abuse, at hello at findingourvoices.net. 
The music on this program is by Roan Yellowthorn, aka my daughter, Jackie McLean Strack. You can learn more about her indie pop duo with her husband, Sean, at RoanYellowthorn.com. R-O-A-N-Y-E-L-L-O-W-T-H-O-R-N. Tune in again, W-E-R-U-F-M, second Friday every month at 4 p.m. for more conversations with survivors of domestic abuse. Until then, remember, love should feel good. It's been a long, long time. It's been a long